Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm so happy to have you join me once again. Everyone around the world who's been joining and listening to the show and sharing it, reviewing. Thank you so much. Please remember to subscribe, review, leave me messages, email me. I'd love to hear from you. I always love to hear from you because every week my goal is to educate, empower, entertain, and inspire you to live a fearlessly authentic life. So before I get into my guest for the show today, I just wanted to remind you again to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and also wanted to share my 20% off code on Sakara. It is a plant-based company that offers meals delivered to your home. They are nutritious and delicious and they are plant-based. They also have other products like their metabolism powder, but you can try all these products with my code XOJody to get 20% off on your first purchase. Go to sakara.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A.com and use the code XOJody. That is it. And on with the show, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Jennifer Berman. She has been on the show before and we had so much to talk about. We didn't finish everything. So welcome to the show again, Dr. Berman. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, I'm happy to have you back too. And for those of you who do not know who Dr. Berman is, Dr. Jennifer Berman is a world-renowned expert, New York Times best-selling author, and one of the nation's leading authorities in the field of female sexual health. Dr. Berman founded and created the Berman Women's Wellness Center in Beverly Hills as a comprehensive, multidisciplinary, state-of-the-art center dedicated solely to women and wellness. Dr. Berman is not only a credible and relatable authority in the field of female sexual and menopausal health, but her message, commitment, voice, and vision are impacting women across all generations and creating positive change for women and girls today. Thank you. We have so much to talk about. Um, One of the things that I wanted to start off asking about was what are some of the common conditions that you see in your patients? I think, um, you know, my focus has been um, related to sexual health and um, sexual well-being. Um, But over the years, you know, I started my career, I was coming out of my residency in my 30s. So I was early to mid 30s, then 40s, now 50s. So throughout um, my career, um, my I feel like the breadth of my um, treatments have expanded to not just sexual health, but in the context of hormone balance and perimenopause and menopausal health. So throughout the life cycle of a woman from premenopause to perimenopause to menopause, obviously sexual health issues and challenges that come up during that time, but also um, 
how to optimize, you know, well, not just sexual well-being, but well-being in general, um, from memory, mood, sleep, um, energy levels, weight thing, all of the things that we were concerned about as women, um, you know, in addition to sexual health. Right. It's, there's so much, and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot for men as well, but I love that you focus just on women because we need more women like you. Um, because so many women like myself, I'm postmenopausal, I'm 61 years old and, you know, turning, turning 60 was a big change for me. I didn't notice it right away, but probably halfway through the year, I just, maybe I was more hypersensitive to it, but, um, I tried, um, bioidentical hormones. I think we discussed it briefly when you were on the show and it just, everything felt really, really out of whack. And maybe it's because I knew that my hormone levels were so out of whack that it made me more aware, but I started noticing, you know, why did it take me so much time to concentrate? Why was I being distracted so often? I don't have ADD, you know, it's just, and with every decade as we hit perimenopause. Gets worse. (laughs) Yes, it is. I hate to say that. I'm so glad you said that. But when does, let's start with, when does a woman really start seeing, the average woman start seeing the signs of perimenopause? That's a really good question. I want to say that I did not know that you were 60. You're a testament to- I'm 61. Oh my God. You know, I am 57 and I, you know, you look gorgeous. You do. Like I just, I, do you remember when you were in your twenties and like 40 sounded ancient? Yes. 50 was like, Oh my God. You know, that they 60s, you were almost dead. 60. You are just about dead. And I like literally I'm having, I have anxiety. I feel like, you know, the death of 60. So I'm so glad to see you thriving and beautiful and alive and um, doing but things this. change, things change, Dr. Berman. I mean, I've noticed even, and we'll get into it later. I wanted to ask you about a few things that happened to me. I also lost my mom at the end of this year. Um, but you know, we're going to be talking about hormones throughout the show, but really like I, I felt a huge change in the sixties. Mm-hmm. So I know you're going to be great. I know at 57, I started getting anxious also. And I just thought, nope, I'm invincible. I'm invincible. And then it does. You do feel, you it do feel a big difference. so freaking old. Like you start thinking about, I have started thinking about dying. Yes. You know, like where are you going to be buried? Like those yes. thoughts don't never cross my mind before. So mortality becomes um, sort of this bittersweet weirdness. But anyway, going back yes. to not about the hormones, the perimenopause is when women first start experiencing symptoms, albeit they can be subtle um, in many and more prominent in others. Everybody is different and everybody experiences these changes different. But the issue is that's important for women to recognize is that we tend to um, downplay them or minimize them or blame them on other stuff. Like you said, my mother died, I'm stressed and, or, you know, my husband lost his job or, you know, we moved cross country or, you know, all the, my kid got a DUI, whatever the things are that are going on in in our lives that definitely can disrupt our mood uh, and disrupt balance, um, you know, impact us, obviously. However, it's important to recognize that hormone imbalance is 
the cause for a lot of those symptoms and all these stresses that go on in our life, the way that we respond to outside stresses is impacted by our hormone balance. So the symptoms um, women first may experience is difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. This really um, can happen postpartum after the first or second baby. Women will say it started after my second baby. I couldn't fall asleep. Um, Moodiness. And when you're still menstruating, it can be worsening of PMS symptoms in terms of the mood, worsening PMS symptoms in terms of the bloating, breast tenderness, um, cramping, heavy periods, uh, weight gain, difficulty maintaining the weight that you want and or gaining weight and having trouble losing it, even with diet, even with exercise, having trouble losing weight. Um, so memory, focus, concentration, short-term memory, feeling you know like you're sharp and on it, um, and creative and motivated. Motivation is a big one. Fatigue, feeling, you know, lethargic, low energy throughout the day, at the end of the day, um, different uh, and changes in sexual function response. Big one, lowering of sexual desire, motivation to be sexual, difficulty achieving orgasm, harder to achieve orgasm, less intense, less, you know, you know, more, more difficult to achieve orgasm. And then also, frequently vaginal dryness or, you know, pain with intercourse. So those are, and it can be, you know, subtle or extreme or a combination. Sometimes women will just have weight gain and low libido. Sometimes people will have, you know, bloating, PMS and difficulty sleeping. Sometimes women will have all of them, but the, the symptoms can creep in slowly and subtly and, you know, trick you into thinking, you know, it's this or that. And then a year, two years, five years go by and you've put on 15 pounds. Now you haven't been sleeping. Now you're on an antidepressant and a sleeping pill and an ADD medication when all of that, you know, at its root is hormone related to hormone imbalance. So how does somebody and everything that you're saying, I either know somebody or I've gone through it or I dealt with it. I'm sure you probably did being 57, but being more aware that they are your hormones because you think about all of the women who hit mid forties and I've heard it all the time. I mean, I own a fitness boutique for women and you know, they, they are from 30 to 65 and 70 and you see the postpartum moms. Yes. They complain about losing the weight again and so on. But then you see so many women in their forties who are on antidepressants. I see more women. When you go to the gynecologist, yes. that's what they give you. So if you complain about mood and God forbid you mention a hot flash, you'll get slapped with antidepressants, which by the way, makes sexual function complaints even worse. You can say goodbye to your libido. You can say goodbye to orgasms. Once you get put on Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, which is this, their standard, you know, their go-to. Um, and this is, a, a, you know, a growing frustration and challenge for me because, you know, on, on the one hand, it's great because I, you know, I want to help all these women. On the other hand, there's so many women that I can't even see or treat. This is why it's so wonderful that you have this, this podcast. So, you know, to spread the word, because what, what's happening right now, this is my perception. I'm not saying this is, this is how I feel based on my practice over decades, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing about I, when I'm going to the medical meetings and when I'm 
speaking to other doctors, that gynecologists are supposed to be the gatekeepers to women's health issues. That is who we're supposed to go to when we have concerns about our reproductive health, our sexual health, and our menopausal health. The problem is that there is a decade or more worth of gynecologists, maybe more than that, that lack leadership and direction um, and protocols for managing hormones in women. And the reason for that, why, why? the reason for that is that their, their governing body, Amer- the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is a patriarchal, old school, super rigid organization that's verging on Handmaid's Tale. And I'm probably going to get, you know, death threats because for saying that, but, and then, but, but that mentality sits and it, and it transfers to, you know, there's political thing in my mind right. basis behind it is that, you know, the, the president elects the, the FDA person who then controls what drugs get approved. So there's, there's, that going on. But besides all that, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology released information about a decade ago called it from studies, the WHI and WHO women's health studies related to estrogen and um, cardiovascular risk factors and breast cancer. And they prematurely released data that was inaccurate that suggested that estrogen is associated with breast cancer and then had to redact that and say, well, you know, we made a mistake. That's not really the truth. And what happened was when they redacted it, they never came back with recommendations and guidelines and protocols. They just left it. They just left it like that. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't what it does. It doesn't cause cancer, but we don't, we don't, we don't really know. We don't really believe in hormones and we're going to do everything not to give you them. Um, They did that with, with hormones. And then they also prematurely the same thing happened again. I don't know if you're aware, but they did the same thing when this there was there was this huge movement and lots of focus in the media surrounding um, vaginal rejuvenation and labiaplasty and women being concerned about the appearance of their genitals and um, new innovation and technologies were being developed to optimize vaginal health. And they came out with a consensus statement suggesting that these procedures were in line with genital mutilation, that doctors were mutilating um, women, abusing women basically with these procedures. And they released that and that put a screeching halt to a lot of the research, to research and development of new technologies. But by the way, they redacted that too. Oh, well, you know, we didn't really mean that. Actually, you know, once with, within a minute, more data was released showing that the, you know, the health benefits, the improvement in the vaginal mucosal lining, the neoneural neovascular regeneration, the collagen elastin, the, you know, relief of pain and incontinence that these minimally invasive treatments were offering that allowed women to avoid surgical intervention and mesh and all the, you know, the, the right. other things that were... Um, So, so that is the problem. And so women continue to seek, you know, help under their insurance through gynecologists. And it's not to say that they don't want to help or they don't care because they do. And occasionally you'll find one or two or three or whatever, who'll try something or, you know, they'll give you a cream or yeah, you know, but they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't, you don't really need labs. They say you don't need labs because we treat patients and not numbers. So they know 
like pieces of information, but they're not putting it all together in a story or in a comprehensive holistic way. So what happened to you is that you got put on some form of bioidentical hormones. And what happens is if you're not balanced, which you obviously weren't, you're right. going to have symptoms, breast tenderness, fullness, but you'll feel more crazy. You'll feel this or that. You'll feel bloated. You'll feel swollen. All of those things, not uncommon. And you just, and what the doctor didn't know, say, don't worry, let's do this. Let's do that let's try this right she didn't know what to do so you just floundered around and you know i don't know where you are now but that is by once they flounder around they'll try that i went off i went off everything um in june tried it after three months then tried again um in august then had you on the show in september um was it and i haven't used anything since and when i think back at this past year i felt like a cuckoo brain even yeah. though on the outside, nobody could tell, but inside, I didn't know if I was coming or going. My weight was fluctuating. I'm all of five foot, maybe one feet tall. And, you know, I usually weigh between 108 and 112, somewhere, you know, that four pound fluctuation. And it, I was like going up to 115. And then I was being miserable because, you know, in this little body, I can't hold a lot of weight and I'm in the fitness industry. So um, I feel for all the women, I, I have had these conversations with other gynecologists as well, and they don't know what to do hormonally. And it's, it's crazy. You're absolutely right. They don't, they seem like the dinosaurs out there. They, I, the yeah. Whole field, the, the people that go into, this is my person, not, this isn't everybody, my person, right. people that choose that field. Um, are very algorithm based and they follow, you know, detailed, you know, tree diagrams for how to manage different conditions, different problems and memorize those. And when somebody falls outside of the algorithm or the tree, you're in Neverland. They don't know what to do. And they're not necessarily the forward thinkers, the innovators, the creators, not all of them, but that's generally you know, the nature of, of the practice and the practices are structured such that nurses can, can do everything. So nurse practitioners are mostly the ones that run GYN practices. Totally. And the gynecologists are in the OR delivering babies or doing, you know, and, you know, uterine stuff and managing hormones and listening to women all day long. Isn't what the doctors do. They're not even in there. The nurses, right. practitioners are in there. So the, the whole field, if this is going to, you know, what it's going to require is a movement and the movement is going to be generated by the people, the women, and the women are going to, you know, get to a point where they're going to demand, you know, we, this needs to change. And there's going to be, and it's already happening. Um, these femtech companies that are going to be establishing um, telehealth, platforms that reach the masses that are going to be offering and I'm consulting with like five of them that's great you know, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for women sort of along the lines of hims and hers you know you know but, oh my god that would be great um, so that's the future and when that happens when that happens then the FDA and ACOD they're going to have a fit and they're going to be saying you know charlatans and there's no evidence da, 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 da. And it's going to force change. It's going to force. So once these tech companies, which are funded by venture capital and Wall Street, lots of money plumbing into that, then they're going to have to make change. The FDA is going to have to open up the gates for more drugs to be approved. Right now, there's few. Well, you know, the FDA is a political thing. I mean, it's a political thing anyway. So what does 
a woman. I can't wait to see what you do because I know that you are a force to be reckoned with. So if you are involved in any of this, it is going to be so helpful to so many women. So a perimenopausal woman who thinks that she might be depressed, thinks she has ADD or can't, you know, can't fall asleep. I started having some of those symptoms myself in my late thirties. And I remember they wanted to put me on Prozac. Yes. Yes. Um, My husband was working a lot. I had two small kids, you know, and you're like, I I can't sleep and everything's miserable. And I remember them trying to put me on Prozac and I said, no. Um, So what does a perimenopausal woman do if, so for, where does she go to? What does she do? You know, How does she know? Like, what does she do? So here's the thing is that what I would recommend is that you see, you know, go to your primary care doctor or your GYN with these issues and complaints. I would inform myself as much as I could read as much as I could print out information, you know, you know, the transcript from your show, whatever else, everything you can read, because especially for the gynecologist, in my experience from talking to my patients, they will look at stuff, they will read it, they, you know, they will, you know, address and try to, to absorb that. And then um, the, what I do is that for my, if this woman were to call my office is, you know, we'd set up a consultation, I'd ask, her to get her labs drawn. But here's the thing with the gynecologist is that they don't know how to read their, you know, the labs in that time frame in the perimenopause may look for all intensive purposes based on the ranges that they give you might look quote unquote normal. And they'll tell you your labs are fine. Nothing's wrong with you. You're da, 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 da. But that's not necessarily the case because there are subtle differences in the, the ratios between estrogen and progesterone levels. The, your testosterone levels, what I consider normal levels and what, you know, lab core and quest- right. So what, right. So what could you give us what a normal, le- is there, could you do that? Tell us what well, a normal level is. If you, because if a woman is cycling, it, it varies. Okay. So okay. you look at the ratio between her estrogen level and our progesterone level. I look at the FSH level, the follicle-stimulating hormone, the sign that that tells us, you know, how your body is responding to the estrogen. So if FSH levels are higher, then even though you're making hormone or even though we're giving you patches and creams, your body is still starving for it and still thinking Mm. it's not there. Wow. Go up higher. And so then sometimes you, when estrogen levels get too high in relation to the progesterone, that's probably what happened to you. Uh, It makes you crazy and feel crazy and feel and gain weight feel fat and bloated and puffy and that and by the way it goes away so if you knew if you had somebody that was going to say okay stick this out we're going to get you know the fatness is what is water retention so with diuretics and you know something it goes away but that's important information to have so you use with this protocol you got fat and so now we need to do this and they didn't know what to do at that point and they just sort of you know leave you flailing around but getting puffy and bloated and fat after you, you know, for all these years that you haven't been on it, and you're obviously sensitive to subtle changes in your hormones, there are many people like that, that you have to be, you have to, it's be, if you were informed, and you were prepared mentally, like, okay, this may be, you know, it would have been a different experience. But going from one thing to another, and then having the doctor look like a deer in the headlights is, you know, is scary. So, um, so, but in any, in any event, um, 
we, I would ask for your, your, you to get your hormone levels. Okay. Hopefully the doctor, and then um, make recommendations based on your symptoms, your age, your hormone levels, your risk factors, um, the medications that you're on. We can make a, you know, a general assessment based on all those things, what hormones you would benefit from. And during, you don't need replace many times. You don't need full replacement levels when you're in your late 30s and early 40s. I was going to say perimenopausal, you don't need full replacements at that point. Probably not. Some, you know, some women have what we call premature ovarian failure, and that, but, but most don't require um, full doses. And, oh, yeah. um, and most, many don't even require estrogen. So oh, yeah. what, um, you know, what we take for granted, and it's unfortunate, and this is another big gap within the field of gynecology is, um, you know, their perception um, and position on testosterone and the the testosterone replacement in women, which they do not support and they don't know anything about and they are not, you know, advocates of. I'm going to stop you right there because I want to talk about testosterone for women big time because that's something that a lot of women don't think they need and they think their voice is going to get deep and they're going to grow a penis or something right? So I'm going to stop you there. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Jennifer Berman. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison-Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Hello, everybody. We are back on Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. So happy to have you come back. And we are here today with Dr. Jennifer Berman talking about female sexual health. And we were talking about testosterone before um, the break. So let's get into why so many women misunderstand the use of testosterone in their bodies. 
Well, I think um, the misconception is, is that testosterone is a male hormone and that, you know, if you take it, then you're going to have hair growth, acne skin, uh, ac hair growth, acne, oily skin, coarsening of the voice, increase in the clitoral size, the size of your clitoris. Those are all potential side effects of high levels of testosterone. Those, those are true. However, under, you know, under conditions where you're with a healthcare provider who knows how to prescribe testosterone, who is monitoring your levels and examining you, you know, not just throwing hormones at you, then those, um, those risk factors are mitigated or don't happen. And by the way, all of them are reversible except coarsening of the voice and increase in clitoral size. And if that happens to anyone, then that means that they have been unmonitored, that they've been just given creams and pills and have not been under medical care. So those shouldn't happen. Now today, what's really exciting that, that has you know sort of changed in my practice is the introduction I have just started within the last two years doing um, pellet therapy, bio, in particular the BioT pellets. And the reason I adopted that protocol is because we they have now implanted over 2 million people. So there's data from women, over 2 million, wow. um, that uh, from all ages, races, socioeconomic status, sizes, risk factors, or whatever. So from the data, we're able to extrapolate and establish clearly defined dosing protocols, which didn't exist before. So before the problem with the pellets, which is why you're scared of them, you didn't you know, well, maybe your little will put one in you and she might do two. There was no standardization, no protocol, no guidelines for dosing in women because testosterone as of right now, thank you, FDA, is not FDA approved for use in women. So we have to prescribe it off label. Right. So what I, what I heard was women like maybe eight years ago who got pellet who had hormone replacements would have this crazy, crazy, crazy sex drive, like out of control, like they're 18 years old. And then by month two, it sort of evened off or maybe a few weeks later. And then towards the end of the life of the pellet, if I'm explaining this correctly, they felt dead. Like, well, I mean, as the pellet, so that's normal. So okay. you're taking say the same thing about cocaine you feel great and then it goes down so big deal it wears so then you have to get pelleted again or you put your patch on again if you're doing a patch so it's yes increases your libido and it let the guys dudes have the same problem they inject their testosterone they peak and they're great and then it starts to go out then i have to inject again so that but the beauty of the pellets is that you're not up and down so you have a physiologic level mm. that's maintained and if you keep dosing then you never fall so right. you, the goal would be to in those ladies before they plummet back down that you that you keep on a schedule and it but then when you put more in so and that varies patient to patient because the pellets release hormone based on your individual each woman's cardiac output and blood flow so if somebody's super active triathlon they're going to burn through them faster somebody's more sedentary they're going to go through slower so your metabolism your gene everything your activity levels what you eat impacts how you metabolize anything so but if you get it you can get an idea you know I, i'm starting to feel three months three and a half months whenever that is and then you know you stay on a schedule the same as you would applying a patch or putting on the cream you know doing those things and if you stay you know within that window then yes you're you know there might be subtle ups and downs but you can you know stay 
consistent. And this is by working with a physician, right? And this is by working with a physician who knows how to monitor you. So you don't have those, those ups and those downs. You don't have those surges after maybe a month or two, because there's a physician monitoring your your hormone levels. so here's what I have found, and it, I, you bring up a really good point. So the, I'm using the BioT pellets because those are the ones that I that where this dosing protocol exists. They're the pure purest pellets without the. I know how they're metabolized. I know all the data. There's a whole system and science behind it. Um, but the I I have found this is my personal experience that in term that. In terms of testosterone, we are dosing testosterone women, and I tend to dose more conservative. And I, you know, what the computer tells me I should give, I even frequently give less. Um, sometimes not, but but I'd rather err on less and having to boost, give more than the giving too much. And I, I agree. So, um, but to your point, I am frequently having to boost at about eight weeks with more, mm-hmm. but big deal. So at eight weeks, it was so it's not. They haven't, we haven't yet, thank you, FDA, because we're not able to expand the science yet, but we haven't yet figured out how to make them last longer, how to make, you know, but, but that's okay. So you have to do it again a little sooner. I'm okay with that for right now because the testosterone via pellet, the way that that gets metabolized, the way that that makes you feel. And by the way, I'm pelleted right now and I've done every other thing, every cream, every troche, every lozenger, every drop, every suppository in your vagina, but you name it. I've prescribed it. I've tried it. And in my opinion, professionally, clinically, and personally, the best way to deliver testosterone in women right now, today 2022 is through the pellets. And the reason for that is exactly what I said, because you, it gets metabolized in a seamless physiologic way that optimizes the beneficial effects and minimizes the side effects. We do need to, to get women's levels higher. And I've known this for my whole career back like in 1990, mm-hmm. when we first started that testosterone levels in order for women to experience subjectively changes we need to get them into the 100 100 to 250 level range which to gynecologists will be horrified oh my god you're going to be a man with that and so but again knowing the science being comfortable with what the levels that you need to be and being able to achieve those levels without side effects we can do that with pellets with the creams and the troches and the lozenges and all the other ways that we're doing it compounded, when you get women up, when you boost up to those levels, they will get side effects, hair growth, oily, all the things that I said. And you have to play game. You have to dig down a little bit, uh, add a gel. Do, well, it's know, a science. Play. It's science. And working with the body's metabolism and, as you said, activity level, it's almost with anything. But in this, I mean, it comes down to a science. So why are so many women confused? That's my first question. Confused about why they need testosterone and why don't women understand what testosterone does in their body? Can you explain to everybody what it does in a woman's body? So for, so first and foremost, it is an essential hormone for women as it is for men and our ovaries throughout, you know, make it, we make androgens and testosterone. So what in terms of, um, physiologically and subjectively testosterone enhances is lean muscle mass versus fat mass 
energy levels, physical energy, as well as emotional energy. Um, like let's go to the gym, let's go to the, your, your creativity and enthusiasm are rooted in testosterone as well as your physical energy. Um, cognitive function, estrogen plays a role in memory um, as well, a big part, but testosterone too for creativity, for cognitive function, for the mental gymnastics and mental agility that you had when you're 20 that you want to have in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, I feel one of the biggest things that I feel when my hormones start to taper off is stupid. I really feel sometimes scarily stupid, like where I won't, I'll miss a joke or even forget where I parked my car, literally, and then panic sets in because then I'm convinced I have Alzheimer's. So the mental clarity, mental focus, um, performance, your ability to sustain throughout a day, working into, you know, working into later hours that you, without, you know, de decompensating, testosterone related, sexual function, libido, sexual, sexual energy, physical energy, emotional energy, mm -hmm. testosterone, orgasm, genital sensation, testosterone. Um, testosterone is also, now we have a, a growing body of evidence to show that testosterone is protective in the breast. So it actually prevents breast cancer. So that's another great, you know, new, um, new discovery and piece of information. It's, so we all need it. We need it so badly. We need it so badly. And it's like one of the first hormones that seems to like fade away as mm -hmm. we are in premenopause, right? After, like, after yeah, the second baby. Like the, that's right. After my second baby, I start the low libido, decline in interest in sex. That's when it, that's how it first shows up. Fatigue and low sex drive are you know related to. So for me, in my in my forties, I got divorced at forty two, and I was like. I couldn't get enough sex. Now, maybe it's because I was married for 17 years, right? And I felt depressed and sad and everything else. And that's why I was having a lot of sex. But I was making up for all the sex I didn't have in my 20s. Um, so I always heard that women reach their sexual peak in their 40s. Mid to late 30s, because, and the reason for that is not anything to do with hormones, but it has to do with experience with life confidence with, wisdom, with your comfort level now right. who okay. cares what he thinks about my breath that you're you're much more empowered and free sexually experience wise and lack of uh, you know and letting go of all the you know the hang-ups and worries and things that we had um you know when we we're younger it's a, it's a it's there's a new freedom and a new confidence and a new level of entitlement sexually that that comes with with you know, increasing age. So that is, so then once women discover that, especially if they're single or getting divorced, if you went from one to another, then it's, you know, it's a brave new world out there. And right. then that alone, you know, when you're inspired, which you were sexually inspired, right. That it flows and with or without hormones, but it's not necessarily sustainable over time, you know, eventually, there's only so many dudes you can sleep with. And, so well, like, right. and then your body starts telling you, right, yeah. like at 49, 50, I stopped getting my period at 50. So, but at 49, so at 45, mid 40s, women start feeling that perimenopause. So when does menopause normally hit women, the average age? So average age is early to mid 50s and menopause 
when you're menopausal, it's not necessarily defined by age, but defined by absence of menses for one year. So if you have not had a period for 12 months, you are technically by medical definition menopausal. Now, sometimes women will eight months, nine months, six months, every three months, then you're still menstruating, you're considered perimenopausal, and there's different, um, the treatment of perimenopause versus menopause is different. When you're right on menopause and you're not, and you haven't had a, a, um, a cycle, though the requirements for hormones are higher. So, and that's when women will start experiencing other symptoms. And those other symptoms that are kind of the hallmark of menopause are hot flashes and night sweats. And hot flashes don't, you know, don't sound like any big deal, but they can be for many women extremely debilitating because they can come out of nowhere. They are, um, associated frequently with feelings of anxiety. Um, There's shame and discomfort because you're sweating out of control and can't, you know, in a freezing cold. Right. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Can that, can younger women still have hot flashes? Yeah, they will. Even if they're perimenopause, they're now and then they'll have them. They will frequently have night sweats more than hot flashes where they wake up sweaty, wake up drenched in sweat um, during the perimenopause. Some of them will have some hot flashes occasionally. Ones that are having hot flashes and night sweats, you know, severely are, you know, closer to, to menopause. So cause the, the hot flashes and night sweats are really, you know, when ovarian function is, you know, sustainably low for more than short periods of time. And then what happens is after you, so now you're mid, early to mid fifties and you're 57, 60, now you're in your sixties. So then what happens, you become, now you're not having, let's say, assuming you don't take any hormones, you just white knuckle through it. Now the hot flashes and night sweats are gone. You're not really having those maybe here and there, but for the most part, not, but, and this is when gynecologists say, okay, you're all, you're great. You're done. They go, bye-bye. They go, bye-bye. Go go off into the pasture, go off into the pasture. You're done. We're going to take you off now because you're postmenopausal. But what happens is during the postmenopause, you may not be having hot flushes and night sweats, but you've got everything else and it's worse. So the sleep, the mood, the energy, the weight, your skin, hair, nails, your vagina, your libido, your bone mineral density, your um, you know muscle strength, pain, joints, cardiovascular health, cognitive function, all of that is going down the drain. And then they rip you off hormones. So that so that is another area of, of focus of mine is the perimenopause where the women are scrambling around and postmenopause where women are you know, scrambling around in a different way, you know, and there's, there's, you know, that those. I think, I think so many women, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm 61, but I think so many women being in the baby boomer generation, um, we're living longer. We know how to take care of ourselves. I'm generally speaking, we need, we are educated women. We, we want the information because we want to live as long as we can. We've seen our, our parents suffer. We've seen them not take care of themselves because for the most part, our parents' generation, my parents' generation. And as as I said before, I lost my mom at the end of December and, you know, they never worked out. It's not like this generation, the generation I'm in, you're in, you're really not in the baby boom, but just, just brushing around it. Um, 
so we want that information. So we're hungry for it. So please, please help us. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, it's really important that, that we're having these conversations and um, women recognizing that the changes that are occurring in their body are natural and normal albeit, but we don't need to suffer. You don't, the, the message I think that's out there is that this is what happens. You know, you're just getting older. Like this is what happens as you age and we'll give you, and what they do, the, the, it's not just gynecologists, it's medicine in general in this part of the world is that we'll start treat. You'll get the ADD med, your cholesterol, you're getting fat. You've got high cholesterol. Now you're on a cholesterol medicine. You can't throw you on an ADD medicine and an antidepressant. And then on Lipitor for your, you know, we start putting all the, you know, as the diseases expand, we're treating the symptoms and not the root cause. And at the root of all of the dysfunction, this is my personal opinion, not everything, but most all things, Starts and stops with hormone balance. I agree. I, I compl- I'm not a doctor, and I completely agree. Everything starts with the hormones. It's the hormones. Prevention of disease, optimize optimization of well being and longevity is hormone balance. Prevention of disease, optimization of sexual health and health in general well being. And it's not what's starting when you're 57 or 60. This starts, and this is what needs to change is women in during the perimenopause and it may take forever because what the FDA is scared, scared about is reproductive age women taking hormones and cancer and all this. I want to say really briefly, by the way, just if there's no other message that gets out there that estrogen does not cause breast cancer, estrogen does not cause breast cancer. Okay. It was, that's one of the things that the, the, that the, ACOG had to retract when they came out with the say estrogen is dangerous, estrogen causes breast cancer. Estrogen does not cause breast cancer. Estrogen causes breast glandular tissue to grow. Estrogen, synthetic estrogen, orally, given oral, with synthetic progesterone, the compound PremPro, which hopefully nobody's prescribing anymore. Right. We're not even giving oral. My mom, took prem, my mom took Premarin. Premarin vaginally or, or for- I don't know. I mean, I was like a kid. Right. Being a horse, a horse enthusiast. And I, so I just don't, you know, premier in, in and out just because of that. Right. Um, you know, I'm against, but there's other vaginal estradiol products that don't come from horse urine. But PremPro, the compound, prem, compounded synthetic estrogen plus synthetic progesterone together in some women after a period of time was associated with a slight increase of breast cancer. But we're not using those hormones anymore. We're using bioidentical hormones. Now, the gynecologist will say there's no evidence, but there is. There is evidence supporting the beneficial effects of estradiol in women, the beneficial effects and protective effects of bioidentical progesterone. And now we have an overwhelming body of evidence about the health benefits um, of testosterone in women. Can you explain the difference between, because we've thrown around bioidentical and there might be a lot of people listening that don't understand the difference between synthetic and bioidentical hormones. Can you explain the difference? Yes. And I want to be careful to say that, you know, not everything needs to be bioidentical and bioidentical doesn't necessarily mean better, but what, what it does mean is that it is the same as your body makes. So the same molecule that your ovaries, adrenal glands, thyroid, 
produces, that it is synthesized from plants or a natural product. It's not a chemical that's compounded in a lab that acts on a receptor to do the same thing as your estradiol molecule will do. It's actually the same as an estrogen molecule. So, or a hormone receptor activator. So that, so that's all that means. Does it mean that it's necessarily better? In my opinion, probably yes. That's not to say though that synthetic compounds, be it hormones or other drugs, aren't extremely effective and beneficial because they are. But in this case that I, that we're talking about in women, when there's really limited FDA approved and cleared options that, you know, that, that these are, this is what we have available to us. And there is enough evidence, in my opinion, about safety and efficacy. By the way, I just want to say that I, in terms of breast cancer, my mother died of breast cancer um, in her 70s. My sister, who's four years younger than me, has, she's in remission now, but has breast cancer. And I, uh, we do not have the BRCA gene. But that's the only thing that I check for. So I, there's probably a million other genes I may have, or I don't know, and I don't care. I'm not even looking at that. But the BRCA gene, I, I agree to be tested for that. And we don't have that. And I am on and have been on since I was 38, I'm not 57, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Now, I have my breast surgeon is Christy Funk, who was very conservative. She's the one that took off Angelina's breasts and, you know, got on that crusade. So she's not, you know, she's very... Um, rigid, but she has, um, and she explained to me what my risk factors were compared to the general population. I have higher risk because of my family history. I'm on hormones, which then increases a little more. And I looked at the data and I looked at the numbers and I, and I thought to myself, there is a slightly higher risk, but quality of life is equally as important as quantity of life. And I was one of the women that was extremely sensitive, like my mental sanity and ability to function was impaired. I could not function properly or even interact in relationships being out of balance. My brain needs hormones and I was going to either, you know, become homicidal, you know, killing people or, you know, so quality of life was equally as important as quantity of life. And I made the conscious decision to, um, to, to continue with hormones. And I had a rigid screening process in the beginning with MRIs and scans and this and that, you know, for about five years, I were 10, 20 now, you know, things she, they've given up, you know, all right, you're not getting this, but, and I also made, and I, and I think that this is a really important message that the way that we think the way, the things that we think about, the things that we focus on become, so if you're worried, totally true, right? Breast cancer, the cancer, cancer. That that's when you get cancer. I'm I not agree. Saying- I agree. You have to st- you have to stay positive. I mean, so much of being sick is staying positive. If you, God forbid, get sick. Um, and we have the ability, our bodies were designed to heal and regenerate. And when you know things go awry, um, it's really important. To, to recognize, I'm not saying that, you know, we're responsible for, for our own diseases, mm-hmm. although I am saying that a little bit. And I have seen and witnessed myself personally, I made the conscious decision, I'm not getting this. I haven't got to take the, so put that over there. And I just tunnel visioned on well-being and didn't think. Now I worry about other things and, <laughs> you know, most of the things I worry about 
you know, happen. So I've learned myself through my, this is one of the tools that I use when you say, how do you do it? In addition to the hormones and exercise and all that is I really, it's a daily reprieve from insanity that goes on in my head. The voices that are talking, that are telling me, do you, you're not this, you're not that, you're not good. Blah, blah, blah. I've learned over the years to quiet that down, to shut that off and to reframe pivot and, you know, get, not listen to that voice. Everything that voice is saying, is wrong. <laughs> I, I I started at, when my mom was in hospice, I started journaling again because I was falling and I don't fall, but I was falling all the time because I was in a hurry to get to hospice or whatever it was. So when I walk my dog, which weighs, she weighs 65 pounds, I think I'm going to fall. So before the show, I was walking her and I said, okay, Jody, you're not going to fall. But I, I totally agree with you. Mindset is huge, but also doing all the other things that you're talking about. This has been an amazing, amazing show. Thank you so much. I still have so many more questions for you. Maybe we'll schedule another show. But before we have one minute left, um, what does living a fearlessly authentic life mean to you? I think, um, you know, being authentic is being vulnerable and being willing to, you know, expose your 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 weaknesses and limitations as well as your strengths and i have tried to practice that um in my relationships in my career and in particular with my patients and i think that that aspect of authenticity um is what has defined my career it's not it's maybe something that that other people have to focus on and try. I was blessed with the inability. I fundamentally am incapable. I feel ill when I am not able to be true to myself. And when I, when I have to act a way that I don't think or feel, everybody knows it. But for those that are more skilled and more sophisticated and polished and who developed the skill sets to be able to be poised and graceful when they feel upset, to be able to maintain dignity and sanity in crisis, I'm not one of those people. But for those that can, to bear in mind that it is really important to you know, to process feelings, that we can stuff them to, to a point, but if you don't address them, it will come out in other ways, either in behavior or in your health. One or two ways, right. how you act or how, you, how healthy you are. And I, when you're not. I completely agree. It has been such a pleasure and an honor to have you on my show again. Um, how do people reach you? So the best way to reach me. So my Instagram is at Jen Berman. MD. Uh, you can also find me on www.bermansexualhealth.com is my website. Um, and there's the phone number and then through, you can direct message me on Instagram. And I'll, have, and I'll have lots of information on this podcast too. So thank you, Dr. Berman, so, so much. I really appreciate having you on the show. And until next week, everybody have a fearlessly authentic week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.